you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Nehemiah. If you are visiting, we've been in a series in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, the book can be divided into two parts. The first part has to do with the reconstruction of the wall, and the second part with the reformation of the people. And that's where we are uh, this morning. Uh, the title of the sermon is Reformation and Repopulation. Uh, I'll cover primarily chapters 10, 11, and a little bit of uh, 12. But notice, please, how chapter 9 ends. So if you have your Bibles, please look at the last verse of uh, chapter 9, because it is here that we see that they make a commitment to reform uh, by starting like this. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests, uh, so forth and so on. So we have to ask ourselves, what is because of all this? Well, because of all this is what happened in chapters 8 and 9. In chapter 8, they read the Word, and they, oh, this is what we have to do. And in chapter 9, they were reminded of who God is. Actually, chapter 9 is one of, the, one of the longest prayers recorded in Scripture. And in that prayer, we are reminded who God is and what He has done. And in light of that, they said, we're going to make a covenant. Here are some, a few of the things that they pray about and they recognize that God does. Look at God's action. God made a covenant. God heard the cry of His people. God performed signs and wonders. God divided the sea. God gave His people laws. God fed the manna from heaven. God gave His Spirit to His people. God sustained His people. God gave His people victory. In light of that, we make a covenant. Not only are we making a covenant, but say, they say we want to document that covenant and whatever we are agreeing to. So they are documenting the commitment. That's how chapter 10 starts. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, so forth and so on. The seal that you have here on the screen uh, is actually very interesting because it is a seal from the time of Nehemiah. And what you see here, you have two people with actually arms raised in worship, kind of what we just sang about. And in the middle, uh, there's actually a, an altar. But what's interesting about the seal is the name that appears underneath. The name of Temek appears there. And the name of Temek is important because it appears in the list of Nehemiah chapter 7. So another beautiful uh, example of how our archaeology um, shows, gives evidence of the veracity of the Word of God. But documenting one's commitment is nothing new. It happened in the past, it's happening uh, today. For example, we document commitment when we get married. Can you guys recognize this uh, beautiful couple? Some of, you, some of you do. Yeah. Uh, Jesse and Gladys DeLow celebrated 64 years of marriage on June 29th. 64 years. Yeah. Very few of you are over 64. Um, we, they gave us permission to show you their, uh, uh, their marriage certificate. It was engraved in a stone. No, I'm kidding. They approved this joke, by the way, so it's okay. Uh, Jesse did send me this from their, uh, from their wedding day. 
1956, documenting one's commitment is nothing new. Now, yesterday, America celebrated how many birthdays? 244, that's right. And uh, as a nation, we also document our commitments. The Declaration of Independence is actually such a commitment. And this is how the Declaration of Independence ends, by the way. I, I, just, want us to, I just want to remind you that uh, this great nation was founded on a strong belief in the sovereignty of God. This is how it ends, and I quote the ending of the Declaration of Independence. For the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. But throughout history, we, co we continued to document our commitments. Here's another one. Do you recognize this one? This is the Emancipation Proclamation, 1863, signed by the 16th President Abraham Lincoln. Remember that commitment? This is what it says, and I quote, I do, this is President Lincoln, uh, I do order and declare that all persons held as slaves with said des designated states and parts of states are henceforth shall be free. And that executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authorities thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons. So we document our commitments personally as nations, and that's what they did. So let's go back to our text. First of all, we see that the first part of their reformation is through submission to the Word of God. Starting in verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our the Lord, our Lord, and His rules and His statutes. So, when the people of Israel heard the word, remember in chapter eight, they realized, "Hey, we're not going in the right way. We have actually now walked in God's ways and in God's laws. Now we're committing ourselves to submit under His authority and under His law, and to walk, to walk." In God's law. That's an active verb. That's a verb of action. When do you walk? Hopefully you walk every day. Every day. This is an everyday occurrence. This is not a once a year or once a month occurrence. We want to walk in the God's law. That means it's an everyday occurrence. The psalmist in Psalm 119 declares, Blessed is the one who walks in the law of the Lord. Are we blessed? We are blessed if we walk in the law of the Lord. We have to ask ourselves, my dear brothers and sisters, how are we doing submitting to the Word of God? Are we walking accordance to the law of God? Or are we walking accordance to the law, some other law? You, you fill in the blank. Whatever it is, my dear brothers and sisters, true reformation doesn't start until we submit ourselves to the authority of the Word of God. Because that's the one that doesn't change. Amen? Amen. 
Reformed through submission to the Word of God, but also reformed through separation. The Israelites have committed the sin of intermarrying with other nations. This is reformed through sacred separation. Verse 30, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or, their, or take their daughters for our sons. The issue of intermarriage was first, first appeared in the law uh, in Exodus 34, when the law clearly said that the Israelites were not to intermarry with the other nations. And here, here are the list of nations listed in Exodus. The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. Have you guys heard about the Persians? Because it's not in the list. The Babylonians are not in the list. The Persians are not in the list. The Egyptians are not in the list. And yet Nehemiah says what? You shall not intermarry with them. We learn here that the spirit of the law supersedes the letter of the law. Why are only those nations mentioned in Exodus? Well, those are the nations that lived in Canaan at the time that Israel went into the land. You know, they could not have said, hey, don't marry the, the Egyptians because they were not there. So the idea here is to strip down the principle and say what? Reform through separation not to marry with people that do not worship God. See, this has nothing to do with someone's ethnicity. This has everything to do with someone's faith. It's very, very important. We know that from Scripture. Moses was married to, a, to an Ethiopian. Yeah, exactly, an Ethiopian. Boaz was married to a Moabitess. God said, yes, because why? Because they were Yahweh worshipers. This has nothing to do with someone's ethnicity, but with every, everything with every, someone's faith. So when we're talking about separation, we're talking about that type of separation. So if you are single and you're thinking about marriage, I'm here to tell you that the Bible says nothing about missionary dating. The Bible says nothing about, oh, I can date an, uh, an unbeliever and then I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to bring them to church and they're going to become believers. Now, I'm not saying that cannot happen. Our God is great and <laughs> He can do all those things. But uh, I, I'm here to tell you that the Bible says do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Uh, it, it is in the Bible. I, I'm not making that up. So when they do this, see, when you're doing a reformation, a personal reformation, that has to involve everything that you do. How you relate to the Word of God. How you relate to other people. And that's what this is talking about. And in their case, they had to make this declaration that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. If you are a parent here this morning and your children are not married yet, be a good time to start praying for them if you have not so already. That God will bring into their lives godly people, Yahweh worshipers. Reformed through submission, reformed through separation, and then there's reform through Sabbath observation. This is another area where they have not listened to the Word of God. They did not keep the Sabbath or the Sabbath year. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. Do you, did you catch that? When you submit yourself to under the authority of God, it affects everything you do, even how you conduct business. 
how you conduct business, when you conduct business. In other words, everything that we say and do has to be different than the world. And in this case, they are aligning themselves back to keep the Sabbath and the Sabbath year. That's what the verse 31 says. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on an holy day. Why? Because that's against our law. See, you have to understand that one of the reasons the children of Israel went into exile was because they didn't keep the Sabbath. And 2 Chronicles 23, 10, and 11 uh, reminds us that. 2 Chronicles 36, verses 20 and 21. Uh, this is the chronicle the historian uh, summarizes. He says, um, He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. So the, ch the children of Israel didn't allow the Sabbath year to take place. And God says, I'm going to remove you from that land so my land can have the Sabbath that it deserves. And now the children of Israel says, hey, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to listen and obey the word of God. Not only do they say, hey, we're going to keep the Sabbath and the Sabbath year, but notice they go a step further and say, we will cancel the collection of debts. The second part of verse 31 says, We will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. If someone owes me something, in the seventh year you're supposed to forgive. And they said, we're going to do that. We're aligning back to the Word of God. We, wanna, uh, we want a true reformation to submit under the Word of God. To separate from, from people that don't worship Yahweh. To observe the Sabbath. And then there's reform through support. Verse 39. We will not neglect the house of our God. See, to the prophet Haggai, uh, God said, you guys are building your own houses. You live in all these beautiful houses, but you neglect the house of God. These people come and say, no, we will not neglect the house of our God. We will take care of it. And it's exactly what they do. And look at their support. Look at their, the verbs that... They show their support. We, we take for ourselves the obligation to give. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits and to bring to the Levites the tithes. All these are verbs of action. It's one thing to say, yeah, I support the work of the kingdom. And there's another thing to say, I'm taking out my wallet and I'm supporting the work of the kingdom. You might say, oh, Tiberius, you don't have to worry about us. We just exceeded the budget. That probably should not be made an announcement of before the sermon. You make that announcement after the sermon. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Uh, because really, the idea of support is both corporate and also personal. And I have to, we have to ask ourselves, how am I supporting the work of the kingdom? Again, look what they did. They said, we're going to give a third part of a shekel for the service of the Lord our God. By the way, that was not new. That goes back to the law. The law actually said they give half. Now there's a discrepancy here. The law said half, they say a third. Are these guys more stingy? No. Actually, there's a good explanation. The monetary system in place now is the Persian system, so we can see that the discrepancy has to do with the money. It's like the difference between the dollar and the euro. That's kind of the idea. So they basically said, we want to go back and support the work of God. When you give the shekel to the house of God, what was the money for? 
actually used money to buy showbread and put it in the temple. So it was basically had to do with something that they were doing at the temple. What about the first fruits? Starting in verse 35 says, We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree every year to the house of the Lord and to bring to the house of our God, so forth and so on, the firstborn of our sons and the firstborn of our cattle, uh, and to bring the first of the dough and every contribution, everything, the first, the first, the first. Basically, the application of this is this. When I get my paycheck, the first check I need to cut is to the kingdom of God. Whether you give to the church, to missionaries, to the poor, a combination thereof. That's what first fruits means. A lot of us uh, do this. Uh, I write, I, I pay my mortgage, and I pay my bills, and I pay my Netflix bill. And if I have any money left, oh, I might give something to the church. If you're doing it that way, you're not following neither the law of God literally or the law of God spiritually. The first fruits means the first fruits. The fact that the first thing I give, I give in faith because it's not mine, it's God's. If, if I think, hey, 90% is mine and 10% is God's, I have it all wrong. But if I think 100% is God's, and he's asking me to give him 10% back, will I have a problem doing that? No. Because it's his. All I am is a steward of that 100% that he's giving me. And what these guys are saying, look, we'll bring the shekel, a third of the shekel to the house, we'll bring the first fruits, and then we'll bring the tithe. That's what they say. And by the way, this is nothing new. The, the law in Leviticus 27 uh, talks about the, the tithe. So my dear brothers and sisters, I know maybe some of you like the first three points, but the last point, you're like, ah, yeah, I'm not so sure about the support part. All right, well, let me, let me keep going, and then I'll come back to it. But I want you to see that they really, they wanted to, to, to be transformed. They wanted to have a reformation. They wanted to submit themselves under the Word of God. They wanted to separate from the pagan people. They wanted to observe the Sabbath, and they wanted to support the work of the kingdom of God. And now look in chapter 11, there comes time to, re to repopulate Jerusalem. Remember, they came back from exile. Now, there's, there's about 33,000 coming back. 3,000 of them will live in Jerusalem, in the city. And the rest, about 30,000 outside in the rural areas. Now, let me take a poll. If you were to uh, relocate to Jerusalem and to Israel... How many of you would say, I want to live downtown Jerusalem within the city walls? Can I have some name? Okay, I see a couple. Okay, the city folk. Okay. Uh, the same thing happened there. Most people didn't want to live on in the, in, within the city wall. They wanted to live in the country. They wanted to be in the rural area where they can plant crops. They can plant fruit trees and live off of them. So who lived in Jerusalem? The leaders, the Bible says very clearly... In chapter 11, verse 1, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. They had no choice. You've got to live in Jerusalem. How are you going to get the other people to go there? They cast lots. They cast lots, and they had another couple of thousand live there. Uh, again, this was before they had the full counsel of God in the Bible, and this was before they had the Holy Spirit, so it was okay for them to cast lots. If you're thinking, oh, I've got to cast lots to make a decision, you know, where I go to school, whom to marry, you know, that's not it. Again, 
Things are different with us. We have the full counsel of God, and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, something that they didn't have. And if you notice in the New Testament, uh, after the giving of the Holy Spirit, there is no more casting lots to make decisions in the church. Why? Because we have the full counsel of God, and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not only are they repopulating Jerusalem, but the Bible mentions priests, Levites, and also they mention high priests. Now, at this time, high priests are actually, to use a, a Jewish term, they're kosher. They are okay. They're people who are God-fearing. They fear Yahweh, and they obey Him. But let me ask you, as you fast forward to the time of Jesus, are high priests godly people? <laughs> no. No. They are corrupt Remember Annas and Caiaphas from the story of the crucifixion of Jesus? The priesthood is corrupt. So there's a problem with the system. That's why Jesus says, I'm going to do away with the system. And I become, not just the sacrifice, I become the high priest. And the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 11 now, I'm going to uh, read verse 13 and on. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? See, our salvation is not in keeping the law. Our salvation is being in Christ. We are not saved because of what we do. We are saved because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because even if right here today we're going to make this commitment and do a reformation in our own lives and say, Lord, I'm going to go under the authority of your word. I'm going to separate myself from that which is ungodly. I'm going to give to the church and I'm going to support the work of the ministry. You know what? You're going to fail. But here's the beautiful thing. Whatever Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. That's why the, author of the, the authors of the New Testament are clear that salvation doesn't come because of what I do, but I am saved if I am in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Only then are you saved. And it's very important to understand that whenever we, for example, I, we have this beautiful uh, image of, uh, of a high priest. I, I'm here to tell you that even though art sometimes uh, is wrong, sometimes is right, most of the time is wrong, Jesus was not blonde and blue-eyed. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus was not white, Jesus was not black. Jesus was an Israelite. Uh, an Israelite would be darker skinned. We would say olive tone, olive tone. But it is not, it is neither intellectually honest nor historically accurate to say that Jesus was white or that Jesus was black. When I came to the United States, I lived in Los Angeles, and uh, sometimes Sunday mornings we would ditch the Romanian Baptist Church where I grew up, and we would visit different churches, you know, Chuck Swindoll, John MacArthur, Evie Hill. And one Sunday we went to the church of Evie Hill. Now here's what Evie Hill said. Evie Hill was a black preacher who, uh, by the way, was... Uh, was uh, received death threats both from the Ku Klux Klan and the Black Panthers. Now, in order to do that, you have to do something right. Uh, and here's what he said. Here's what Evie Hill said. 
when he was accused of preaching a white Jesus. He said this, I don't know anything about a white Christ. I know about Christ, a Savior named Jesus. I don't know what color he is. He was born in brown Asia. He fled to black Africa, and he was in heaven before the gospel got to white Europe. So I don't know what color he is. I do know one thing. If you bow at the altar with color on your mind and get up with color on your mind, you go back again and keep going back until you no longer see at his color, but at his greatness and his power, his power to save. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? If you worship a Jesus who's white or black, you are majoring in minors and you're probably missing the real Jesus. So how are we applying this uh, truth this morning? Well, three main points. First of all, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Again, Jesus is the Lord and Savior. The question is, is He your Lord and Savior? See, without Jesus, you're not just sick, you're dead from a spiritual perspective. As the second century church father Clement of Alexandria reminds us, where he says, sick, we truly stand in need of a Savior, having wandered of one to guide us, blind of one to lead us to the light, thirsty of the fountain of life, of which to Whoever partakes shall no longer thirst. Dead, we need life. Sheep, we need a shepherd. We who are children need a teacher, while universal humanity stands in need of Jesus. So, are you under the authority of Jesus? Are you in Christ? Are you obeying His Word? That's the second part. Submit yourself under the authority of the Word. You might say, well, Tiberius, I'm submitting myself under the authority of the Word. I gave my life to Christ. Well, let me ask you, have you committed yourself, and got baptized. Because if you, leave your, if you gave your life to Christ, and if you didn't get baptized, you're actually walking on the path of disobedience. Because baptism is not an option. It is actually a command. It's actually in the Great Commission. Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not an option. It is part of the Great Commission. It is not the great recommendation. It is the great commission. Submit yourself to the Word of God. And uh, John Bunyan, the 17th century Puritan preacher, encourages, encourages us to get back into the Word early in the morning. And I don't know, I know some of you prefer in the evening, and that's okay, but John Bunyan recommends that we, we start early in the morning. He says, and I quote, he who runs from God in the morning will hardly find him at the close of the day. Nor will he who begins with the world and the vanities thereof in the first place be very capable of walking with God all the day after. It is he who finds God in his closet that will carry the savor of him into his house, his shop, and his more open conversation. Surrender your life to Christ. Submit to the authority of the Lord, and lastly, support the work of the kingdom. And again, we said, you guys are faithful. The budget has been extended, uh, has been, uh, it's more than what, uh, what we need. Is, is there ever a possibility? I don't know, if it's, whatever. But I want to ask you individually. I want you to ask yourself individually, how much do you contribute to work of the kingdom? And again, I'm not just saying to the church, I'm talking about missionaries, I'm talking about the poor, whatever. 
how much are you involved in supporting the work of the kingdom? Or let me ask you this way, maybe. Maybe because you might say, I'm not sure. Okay. Ask yourself, is it right? Is it right that my cell phone bill is more than what I give to church? Is it right that I pay more for cable TV than I pay for giving to missionaries? I'm just asking. Is it okay? I mean, you have to answer that question. I cannot answer it for you, and you cannot answer it for me. But I want us to understand that God is not somewhere in a corner asking you, oh, please give me some money. You know, that's sometimes we treat God like that, right? Oh, God is in the need of my money. No, he, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money. But he needs your commitment. And you are going to be the one who is unhappy if you don't follow him. Hudson Taylor, uh, missionary to China, reminds us all. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Oh, I love it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. George Mueller took care of more than 10,000 orphans. He says, if you neglect a habitual giving, a regular giving, a giving from principle and upon scriptural ground, and leave it only to feeling and impulse or particular arousing circumstances, you will certainly be a loser. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God will accomplish His purposes. The question is, are you going to be part of that? I'm not going to make you sign a covenant this morning, but I'm going to make you sing one. You ready? Let's stand and sing together our commitment or maybe our recommitment to follow, to follow Christ. We already sang these words. Now it's, it's with a different uh, tune. decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world Sometimes we think about Reformation as just one historical event, but actually the living Lord is constantly reforming the hearts of his people. 
as we surrender to the Lord, as we submit to his word, and as we support his work in the world, his spirit is reforming our hearts. Thanks for joining us today for worship. And I want